1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael
2: Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To
3: contact
1: us, email now.
3: Michael at lmfm.ie
1: Tuesday, the 25th of September, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Officially, just under 10,000 people are homeless. Father Peter McVery says uh, the figure is more like 15,000. The Simon community says it prevented another 3,000 people from seeking emergency accommodation last year. Housing is unaffordable for many, and rent is at its highest level ever and rising. The government's policies are failing according to Sinn Féin. It's to use its private members' time to table a motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy this evening. The Minister assumed office 15 months ago and homelessness has increased by 25% in that time. Child homelessness has increased by 34%. Around 3,000 children are in emergency accommodation this morning. Tonight's motion could result in Minister Catherine Byrne voting against the Minister, losing her job as a result and uh, the party whip uh, along with uh, that. But the Minister is expected to to survive this motion because it will not be supported by Fianna Pat Casey is Fianna spokesperson on urban renewal and housing and on the line. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, The Minister says this is a a shin fein stunt that doesn't take into account the great progress that uh, the Government has been making in terms of tackling the crisis. Do you agree with him? Hello, Pat Casey. My apologies. There appears to be a problem with uh, the line uh, and uh, we'll try to get uh, the deputy back on the telephone there to uh, see if Fianna Fáil believes uh, that the government is making progress or great progress as uh, the case may be. It's obviously going to be a very uh, important motion and one which will bring an awful lot of uh, the issues uh, to the fore that have uh, been making uh, headlines over some long period of time uh, as it stands. Uh, Yeah, I'm being told in my headphones uh, that Pat Casey is on the line. Uh, Thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, Minister Murphy says this is a Sinn Féin stunt uh, that is not taking into account the great progress that the government has been making in terms of tackling the crisis. Do you agree?
3: Well, I won't agree with everything Mr. Murphy. says. But I will agree that it is a stunt, and in my opinion, that's completely what this is about. It is a stunt, and uh, we will not be supporting the Sinn Féin motion of no confidence in in Owen Murphy. I think bringing down a government in the middle of a Brexit negotiations, in the middle of many other crises that the government faces, will will not achieve anything. Sinn Féin clinically delayed this motion last week, despite claiming that it was an emergency. So they deferred it for a week. We all remember back in July before we rose for the summer recess, we had Deputy Owen O'Brien going around with a truck with a big banner on it claiming no confidence in Owen Murphy. Again, they didn't didn't put the motion of no confidence down at that time either. So, you know, I will agree with Minister Murphy that it is a a PR stunt being carried out by Sinn Féin, and, and I will call it as it is. That is what it is, a PR stunt to gain publicity for Sinn Féin. It will not build a single house. It will not take one child or one family out of family homelessness, it will not provide any affordable housing and will not address the housing crisis.
1: OK, so if this Sinn Féin stunt doesn't build houses, which is uh, the stock response from Fianna Fáil, uh, does Fianna Fáil have confidence in own Murphy to tackle the crisis?
3: Well, we have entered into, and in relation to a crisis, and we've, we, many of us have been through many crises, the last thing you want to do in a crisis is bring additional uncertainty. And what we've done after the last election was we signed up to a 3 years confidence of supply motion. Which provided the country with the stability to allow it deal with the crisis, the money crisis it was facing, Michael. And through that competent supply, we've given them stability. And we need stability if we're going to tackle anything or any crisis. We need stability. We signed up for that three years. We're going to honour that three years, as Michal Martin has clearly indicated in all the interviews he's carried out. Part of that confidence supply is in relation to votes of no confidence in ministers.
1: So are you suggesting that you may lose confidence come January in Owen Murphy as minister?
3: No, I'm not saying as Micheál. So do you have confidence
1: out? in Owen Murphy as the minister today?
3: What, we're, what we are saying is that in confidence supply, we will not be voting... With the government, we will be abstaining in relation to votes of no confidence in any minister, whether it's on Murphy or any other minister. That's part of the confidence and supply agreement for a three-year process or three-budget process. And that's what we are doing today. As Michal Martin said, he will honour his commitment.
1: No, I understand that. but. Does that mean that you do have confidence in Owen Murphy? No, what we're saying
3: clearly is, is I'm trying to repeat myself now. Oh, no, 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 there's no
1: I need just to because I, I heard yeah. everything that you said already but I, I didn't hear okay. you state whether you have confidence or not. What, what, what I'm hearing you saying is uh, that you don't want to say whether you have confidence or not because you have okay. an agreement with the government to facilitate the administration by not voting against ministers in motions such as this. But does yes. that mean that you do have confidence in Owen Murphy, or that you don't have confidence in Owen Murphy and you're just not going well, to uh, voice that position because of the agreement that you have with the government?
3: I think what we need to look at is not the person, but is actually the policies that put, are being put forward by the current government. Fair enough. And so do you,
1: do you have confidence in the government's have, policies? No, we wouldn't
3: have full confidence in the government's policies in relation to housing. We are using the current budget process for this year to try and influence that, as we have done up to now, and what we're trying to do, Michael, in the current budget is provide a, uh, an affordable housing scheme which will bring 200 million to the table and hopefully provide affordable homes in around the region of 160,000.
1: Has it been agreed?
3: I'm not
1: not
3: Mm. privy to that negotiation, and as as you quite well know, it's ongoing at the moment. We're equally looking for an increase in £30 in in social housing spend, which will only bring us to the 2008. So what we're doing through the Compton Supply, we're not in government, Mm. but we are trying to influence it at any stage we can. We would probably have a completely alternative policy, but we didn't win the election, and we all know that. And the last thing we need... No, but you wouldn't
1: win the next election, election. and that's the point that I was going to come to, because, uh, I mean, you call it a a Sinn Féin stunt. Uh, Others would say Sinn Féin have been playing politics with it, because they said last May very clearly that they didn't have confidence in Owen Murphy as Minister, but they postponed tabling a motion to that uh, effect so that the referendum on abortion could take place. Now, there were a lot of people who thought at the time they may have been supported by Fianna Fáil in May, but that's not the case now, and that the reason reason for that is the opinion polls.
3: No, I, I, I remember back to May. Clearly, myself, I'm on the housing committee. I was part of that process. I think it would have been the very same situation back in May as it is today. We have to give the current government its time that we've agreed to, which is three years. We're giving them that time. We're trying to influence the budget in 2019 and make it a housing budget to, del- to deliver housing solutions. And then we will... Have offered. Mehol Martin has offered to renegotiate after that budget to see can we influence further. The last thing the country needs, Michael is another general election now. It needs to continue to have stability to deal with the crisis facing, including housing, including health, and indeed now Brexit, which is looming quite closely and the
1: 29th of March. Well, the last thing Fianna Fáil needs is a general election now, if you are looking at uh, the polls, uh, but maybe for the reasons uh, that you point out there uh, as well, and I'm sure there are a well, lot of people that would agree with that, yeah.
3: I, mm-hmm. I would probably maybe disagree with you there. I think we're ready to fight any general election when comes, and I think most of our mm. colleagues are working exceptionally hard on the ground. And while you can read national polls, I think it's also very important to take what's actually happening at a local level and how each TD is performing in, the, in their own constituency. And I think you will get a different read. I don't think Fianna Fáil is afraid of, of a general election. Okay. What we are trying to do is provide the country with the stability it needs to address the crisis that's coming down the road. I I,
1: I can't tell you if you're afraid or not, but uh, I I can assume that there are a lot of people who would be afraid if they were looking at uh, those ratings uh, by uh, going to the people and uh, looking for uh, the prospect, looking at the prospect of losing more seats than is the case already. Uh, But uh, if, if It's not a case of the polls dictating this and it's a question of responsibility in uh, office uh, and that you have this agreement to facilitate the government. Well, then surely you have to take responsibility for the record of the government.
3: Well, well, no. What we are doing is supporting the government to allow it makes its decisions. Yes, and we're trying to influence that. We're not responsible for the government. The government's responsible for itself. Like so. we we agree that there's failings in relation to housing. But you're supporting we the agree-
1: housing policies.
3: We are not supporting, we are supporting the government and giving them the opportunity, and we are now trying to influence the policy to change the direction that the government is going, because we don't believe it is the right direction. And we can we can look and yes, there is failings like the repair and lease scheme that hmm. targeted eight hundred homes and has only delivered fifteen. But we've had Finegel policy no, no, since the,
1: But we've had Finegel policy since two thousand and eleven, have we not? Yes, we've had a okay. so seven say, years we weren't
3: in government. 2000.
1: But se- se- seven, which, seven years election, on, seven years on, uh, surely if you believe the policies are wrong, it's time to uh, bring a halt to them.
3: The time it will come for a general election when it comes, Michael, I want to reiterate we signed up to a three year constant supply deal, to three budgets. Mihal Martin, our leader, has clearly indicated on every occasion that he will honour that agreement. And he is willing to enter into negotiations after that period with a further extension of constant supply, if that's what they okay, need. OK, when you talk about 3,000
1: cons- children in emergency accommodation and bed and breakfasts and hotels and all this sort of stuff, which a lot of people uh, believe is a, a shameful situation for this country to be in, uh, is it one that we could change radically uh, in a short time frame, do you believe?
3: Well, I believe there's a few things that could be done, and none of us accepted the the homeless crisis. That's a damning disgrace on on the nation, as you rightly said. And as you said, there's 1,700 families and nearly 3,800 children, homeless. There are probably a a few things that could be done immediately to probably tackle that the government haven't done. They haven't done the short-term letting platforms like Airbnb, Mm. which is having a huge
1: impact. Do you believe that they will, though? The city
3: centre. Well, uh, the committee itself did a huge amount of work on this and issued a report. We pushed on Murphy to try and bring in the the relevant legislation to do that. In the meantime, each local authority can take its own action under the planning and planning uh, laws to take action against unauthorized developments in relation to Airbnb. And the other thing is, is we have to address security of, of tenure moving forward. Add the incentives, we have landlords, Michael, Lee. OK, but that market. sounds
1: like more of the same, doesn't it?
3: No, what's not happening, OK, the government hasn't addressed the short-term letting platforms mm. like Airbnb. Yes,
1: but the, the, uh, the, the point uh, is, is that the government will remain in office, uh, Owen Murphy, uh, and maybe it's not a question of personalities, but uh, Owen Murphy is the government policy, if you like, in, in relation to housing, uh, and he'll remain in office. Uh, so it's more of the same, isn't it?
3: Yeah, well, we could have had the same with Simon Coffey. And what yes. we got, it was Murphy. So, mm, I mean,
1: and Alan Kelly those before him. Yeah, mm.
3: so that's not going to change change anything. The policies will remain the same, as you rightly point out. Mm. So what Fianna Fáil is trying to do, specifically in this budget, we are making this a housing budget. We are actually trying to influence and change the policy decisions that the government is making to, to try and address the crisis.
1: But do you believe that if there was a general election, that the policies would change?
3: If there was a change of government, I believe the policies would change. If there's not a change of government, clearly there wouldn't be a change in policy.
1: And would that not be a good thing?
3: I think that would be a good thing. But equally what I do think, and as a person who has has run a, a relatively successful business, Knows what stability means and security means and certainty means. I've employed over 50 full time staff and 30 part time staff through the recession. What we need is stability and certainty to deal with any crisis, no matter what crisis it is, Michael. We're giving the government that opportunities and we're trying to influence the policies to our confidence play motion. And at, mm. at the end of the three year agreement, it will be reviewed whether we will continue it or not continue. It.
1: Okay, but and that's the point. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've just told me that Fianna Fail is in a position to change the policies by forcing a, a general election, and that that would solve the crisis or help to solve the crisis. But you're not going to do that because you don't want a general election.
3: No, no. I, number one, I'm not afraid of general election whenever it comes. I have clearly stated that. I've equally clearly stated. Michael, that is exceptionally important in any crisis that you have stability. Micheál Martin has gone on record time and time again. He is going to honour the Compton Supply Agreement of three years, or three budgets. We're into the third budget now. We have given the government and we have given the country the stability and certainty that has allowed it to address a lot of the economic factors within the economy. But hasn't addressed the homelessness. And we're now trying to do that through the housing policy.
1: OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Thank you, That's Pat Casey, TD, spokesperson for Fianna Fáil on urban renewal and housing.
4: Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM.
1: Uh, An Irish woman who has been radicalised after she converted to Islam claims uh, that there are up to 150 Islamic extremists living in this country. She's been speaking to Paul Williams who will highlight her claims and many more in Ireland's Jihadi's True Lives, which can be seen on Virgin Media 1 uh, tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Paul Williams is on the telephone. Tell us a a little bit more about Alia and uh, where you came across her.
5: Hello, Michael. Good talking to you again. Um, well, Alia is obviously not her real name. She's an Irish woman. Um, she obviously displays a lot of the traits of people who do become radicalised. She's quite vulnerable. She's uh, had a difficult upbringing. Uh, she became interested, ironically, in uh, the whole Islamic uh, extremist uh, scenario when she was still in Primary school after the nine eleven attacks, she subsequently uh, decided to convert to Islam and was radicalised when she moved to live to the UK. In the UK, where she lived with a man who uh, has been identified as being very heavily involved in what we call uh, cyber crime, as in uh, what's called invoice redirect fraud which is basically defrauding Irish companies uh, through cyber fraud and taking the money and basically giving it to ISIS. And she was involved in one of those uh, incidents. She was named as a director of a company. This man, this, this mm. well-known ISIS supporter, was uh, involved. In, and that's how she came to our attention. And she also came out following the London Bridge attacks in 2017, in June 2017, where she went with him to a, with the Imam of the 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 mosque in um, in in, in Dublin, Sheikh Umar Al Kadri, and she basically said she expressed for the first time this belief there was 150 radicalized people mm-hmm. here, but she also claimed that she knew. Some of the terrorists, and one of those terrorists, she claims to know very well and claims he was here on numerous occasions, is called Khalkuram. But he was the leader of the three man team who basically used a van, first of all, to mow down and plow into pedestrians on London Bridge on the night of the 3rd of June 2017. Then they got a crash, the van, the three guys got out. And they went on a stabbing uh, frenzy through the borough markets area, through restaurants and pubs, randomly attacking people. They murdered eight people and they wounded over 40, 48 people. Seriously, he was shot dead. Uh, So basically, we center a lot of the program around her allegations, and our claims. And what she says, she gives us an insight into, and we know she was radicalised, and she know then she was de-radicalised, uh, because Sheikh Omar al-Qadri has confirmed this. And when she says um, she was
1: radicalised, what does she mean by that? Was she, or is she, a terrorist?
5: Well, you know, she would see herself as being very much in tune with the, and had been in tune at the time with the likes of Umar, uh, uh, Kumar, and uh, the uh, but in that they believed that violence on the behalf of the Islamic State was legitimate. Now, she didn't mm. physically take part in any attacks. She didn't plot any attacks. Uh, she was basically used by these people as well. Um, she was used, her name was used in a, in a, in a network of fraudulent uh, companies that were registered and they were to be used to basically siphon off the funds. One, in one particular case, 2.8 million was taken from a company here in Dublin and that was intended for ISIS. Uh, But she has been quite open about knowing these people and listening to them and trusting them and then actually admitting, you know, I became radicalised and didn't realise I'd become radicalised.
1: Involved in criminality?
5: Criminality, yeah. Hmm. she was involved in she was involved in the frauds, but she she was used more than being a perpetrator so okay. to speak if her name because she's irish uh, you're registered as the director of a company, then you don't pop up on any databases uh, or cause any suspicion
1: or okay. anything like that H- has she the been second- charged
5: no, she wasn't charged.
1: Okay. No. Um, she, did,
5: she was interviewed extensively by the security service from the UK and here. I think mm. she gave a statement about 80 pages long to the
1: party. She may be interviewed um, after the television programme tomorrow night uh, again. Well, they're, they're, it, yeah. they've been yeah. fully
5: aware of her for a long mm. time.
1: Okay. They know all about this. Okay, uh, uh, but uh, when she talks about uh, 150 extremists living in this country, mm. what type of a threat do they pose?
5: Well, this is where the Guardi come in. We talked to them about this. Um, Umar al-Qadri uh, corroborates that. He says there's been at least 150 radicalised people or extreme hold extremist views. And um, the Guardi say they are watching at any one time 30 people who would be people who would be under constant surveillance. They would be considered as major threats and very active. However, the guard in charge of all the, the state security and intelligence gathering agency, Guardi-Quarters, Michael o- O'Sullivan tells program that, you know, just because people do hold extremist views does not mean it's a criminal offence mm. unless they act on it. So they can't go around lifting these people. So basically there's a, there's a consensus that there is that number of people with radical views. But the Gardaí would suggest that the, of the cohort within that group is about 30 who would pose a threat to the state. <laughs>
1: To what extent? Are we talking about people who may be involved in bomb making or plotting uh, some sort of a, an attack or, or, or what kind of a threat uh, is thought uh, to be posed by these people?
5: Well there's always the potential threat that one of them may just blow a fuse and decide to go and kill people because that's what they are they're radicalised and there is no, it is a very nebulous uh, concept they are very unpredictable, very volatile and they are Radicalized so they may blow up at any time. But what the experts, and we talked to a number of academics in this, mm. and a former MI5 agent who, who infiltrated jihadi groups for a number of years for MI5 and MI6 and is now living in Ireland, that the, the Islamic, Islamist terrorists use Ireland as a safe haven and see it as a safe haven and a convenient backdoor into the UK. They use Ireland as a place to radicalize, to lie low, to uh, raise funds and money launder a lot of ill-gotten gains, all of which is fed and siphoned back into the, the, the finances of ISIS across Europe. And there has been a number of arrests in relation to that and a number of convictions all, already.
1: All right. And uh, I take it there's a, a lot of activity on the Internet which is being monitored as well.
5: A huge amount of activity. The other thing we look at as well, Michael, is that we, 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 the, the, the point we make about the, the London Bridge attacks, that was the first time that there was a very clear and direct and tangible connection between uh, Islamic State terrorist acts and Ireland. Uh, and that was in the form of Kurumbut. Now, the Gardaíes say that Kurumbut as far as they're concerned, mm. was we'll never here. Uh, Aliyah says he was... Um, there is another individual, Rashid Redwan. if you recall, he was the, the number two in that group of three uh, who, who took part in that attack. He lived here, and he came here specifically to get on the radar. He had been refused asylum on several occasions in the UK. He was also arrested uh, in 2009 on his way from the UK to Belfast using a false passport and a false alias. Now, despite the fact that he was convicted of that, and despite the fact that he'd been uh, refused asylum on several occasions, he then decided with his, uh, Sharice O'Leary, his then uh, fiance or girlfriend, she was an English woman, they decided to move to Ireland, and specifically they came to Ireland to to get married. And he married in the registry office on the 7th of November 2012. The point about all of that was that he did not, at any stage, and we say this in the programme, it wasn't a case that he was on the radar, it was a case that there was no radar available at all to actually find this guy or identify this guy. Uh, as a potential threat and he only really featured on uh, our Department of Justice database in 2015 when After being married for a number of years, he applied for and would receive permanent status or full-time status for a period of five years. When he got that, he meant that he could travel anywhere he wanted throughout Europe and the UK. And immediately he got that, he headed to London, where then he was under their radar again Mm. because he popped up with residency. And the, 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 the rather ridiculous... Aspect of all of this, which I believe has now been sorted out since London Bridge, the London Bridge attack, is mm. that there was, the Irish authorities had no access to any databases or Schengen, uh, the Schengen database. Uh, there was a number of databases they didn't have access to, which would have clearly shown Rashid Redwan as somebody to keep an eye on, at least, and certainly somebody to monitor when he got married. Because another aspect to this is that the Garda, the Garda um, Immigration Bureau have been involved in Operation Vantage for the past number of years, which has identified at least one to over thousands of um, what called phony arranged marriages with people from, particularly from uh, India. Uh, Pakistan and other countries of from the Indian subcontinent, uh, which is where uh, Rashid Redwan right? he was he was originally from Morocco, but uh, that likes of, but he comes from a Pakistani mm. background. So mm. all of this was going on. Basically, they took full advantage of the rather lax immigration situation we had here and security situation. Mm. Which the Guardian by the way, because we don't want to be scared anyone, have said they have dramatically ramped up their armed response capabilities. For example, they say that. The UK police, the Scotland Yard police, were able to surround the three attackers on London Bridge. Now, they murdered eight people and and maimed Mm. 48 beforehand, but they were shot dead eight minutes after the first call, which is quite remarkable. The Guardian in Dublin uh, said that they have enough armed units around the country to respond in a similar way. Plus, they have seriously stepped up border security in the past couple of years Mm. so that... People like these guys can't find it so easy to go under the
1: radar. Okay, we'll trust them and hope it's not tested in the near future. But more tomorrow night on Virgin Media One at 10pm. That's Ireland's Jihadis True Lives. And our thanks to Paul Williams. Michael
4: Michael Reid on on LMFM.
1: Francis Jones is uh, the chairman of Maharatloon Mitchell's GFC, and he's on the line. Francis, obviously, uh, these are trying times uh, for you we've been hearing about uh, the sinkhole for people who haven't uh, seen photographs uh, perhaps you could explain to us uh, if you would, what has happened
6: Morning Michael, yes Mm -hmm. trying times, to say the least yeah, very unusual circumstances yeah, basically the the subsidence has caused serious damage to our fields and our our club grounds our club rooms um, cracks all over the ground you know what I mean so they're out of bounds out of use for Mm. We'll see it in the future, you know.
1: Yeah. How deep are the holes? Uh, because uh, it, it's like lines through the field, isn't it? But uh, how deep do they go?
6: How deep do they go, Michael? I don't know at the minute because once we establish the, the the damage, we basically uh, lock down the area, get everyone out for safety, you know. So they went to lock on the gate. Nobody has gone in since. Mm. We're waiting. The geologists are coming in this morning to do their report. I'm all waiting on their report to see exactly what caused it and the extent of the damage done.
1: And is it expected that there could be further activity? Because you, you hear of sinkholes elsewhere and, you know, uh, houses fall into the ground or 30 cars disappear off the face yes. of the earth.
6: Yes, well, Bishop money County Council and Gallagher, they have sealed off the road and they have um, asked a couple of residents to move out just as a precaution. You know, um, the road is still closed apart partly closed between Carcass and Kingsford, you know. So all precaution has been taken for, the safe, for people's safety, you know.
1: Absolutely. It's a very strange thing, very unusual uh, event, and uh, quite possibly to do with mining in the locality.
6: Possibly. As as I said, we don't know yet, so we'll wait for the reports to come before we uh, point the finger of blame to anyone, but uh, we just have to wait and see what them
1: reports, you know. Mm. Okay, and uh, obviously uh, the company who operates uh, the mine, uh, JIPROC, isn't it, uh, are, are looking at it and they're carrying out their own assessments?
6: They are carrying their own assessments. They are, they're looking after that in and up themselves, yes.
1: But this okay. is damage that uh, has been to such an extent that you expect the grounds to be unusable for years to come?
6: I would say, looking at the bit of damage i have seen yesterday morning, Michael, that the, the grounds, we won't be back in there. The grounds are extensively damaged, and I'd say they're irreparable. Really, you know what I mean?
1: That you'll never be back.
6: We know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think we'd be back in there. You know, um, If say had to ask people to go back in when this has happened. You know, thankfully there was no one on site when it happened. Seems hmm. it happened during the night. So. Uh, what
1: people say you. That's it. Uh, and that, yeah, uh, as I say, when you hear about these sinkholes elsewhere, they can be very serious and quite often you hear of people missing apart from cars and houses and yes. that sort of thing. Uh, thankfully, nobody has been injured uh, and uh, at this stage, uh, it, it seems as though the subsidence uh, ha, has stopped and hopefully that will continue to be the case. But what does it mean for the club?
6: Well, for the club, it means like... Uh, we're coming towards the end of the year, really, in the club. There were only a couple of teams left in competition, really, but uh, it's winding up. But we still have to find uh, pitches locally. And thankfully, the local clubs have rang us to offer their facilities, which we will be taking up. But we're going to need these facilities for the next few years. So, we yeah, are. we have to sort somewhere for teams to train. We have, uh, in the men's side, we have teams from under six right up to senior, the ladies of a the club there. There's also the community centre, which you several activities go on there, you know what I mean, so Hmm. a lot of people are going to be disrupted, a lot of people are going to be put up, put out but listen, we just have to get on mate. you know, what Hmm. what can we do at this stage, you know. Uh,
1: Well, not very much on the grounds as you say uh, uh, and I'm sure people will be seeing uh, pictures of it it later, it's very very dramatic and very hard to describe. devastating
6: Uh, to the community, you
1: know uh, Yeah, I'm sure it is, uh, shocking apart from anything else Yeah. see something like that happen. Okay, well look, uh, perhaps uh, we can come back to you uh, when it is uh, established as to what happened, but thanks for joining us uh, this morning, Francis. No
6: problem, Michael, thank you.
1: Thank you indeed. Francis Jones, uh, chairman of uh, the Mahiru Mitchell's GFC. Now, let's go to Ashburn, where Sinn Féin Councillor Darren O'Rourke says that plans for a skate park have been scrapped without any consultation, and he's on the line. Uh, this was part of the plans for a playground that's about to be constructed.
2: That's exactly it, Michael. Um, And the skate park as part of that playground has been on the agenda for well over five years um, amongst the community and amongst the the councillors in the area, this group of councillors and and the previous group of councillors, and at least that. And um, there have been a number of, of drafts of the proposals, the pr- proposed renovation of the of the playground and all of them included provision of, of the skate park um, councillors met in Ashbourne just two weeks ago and there was no mention of the skate park being scrapped. Um, but we know from the tender documents that have been submitted um, and put on display by, by Mead County Council that it is scrapped and Mead County Council have confirmed that. And
1: is it being replaced? Uh, you mentioned an amphitheatre, was that part of the original plan?
2: The amphitheatre and, and, and I suppose that's the issue in relation to this, um, uh, that the amphitheatre was part of the original plan, as was replanting, as was um, an extension of the playground in terms of the equipment for younger t- kids and for, for older kids. But essentially what has happened here is Meade County Council at an executive level have made, a call, or at some level within Meade County Council, have made an executive decision uh, in terms of what priorities uh should should be delivered within the playground and they haven't consulted the community and they haven't consulted the councillors despite the fact that the community have been putting their hands up and stepping forward and, and working with, with uh, all of the other stakeholders in relation to this that, you know, they have really been advocating for, for, for the skate park and really been advocating for for inclusion in the process of designing this new community facility and essentially you know, they've, they've had a finger poked in their eye as far as I can see in relation to this. That is, means,
1: is there it, ongoing demand for a skate park? Is skateboarding still popular?
2: No, it, it, there is a huge demand for it, in fairness. And, you know, I've, I've never actually seen, and, and other councillors in Ashburn will confirm this, the level of energy amongst young kids, you know, the politicisation around the skate park. So, so we've been talking about a linear park and a community park and, and a playground. They talk about when is the skate park coming. So it was a, a key, important component of the of the the, uh, the 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 playground. And we know that for whatever reason, Mead County Council have prioritised a new bridge and an amphitheatre. Now I, I, you know, there's arguments for and against all of those things. But I, you know, I have a major problem with the process. You know, it for me, it wasn't their decision alone to make that call. They should have consulted with public representatives. They should have consulted with the community. And I think they would have got a different answer. Um, and, and so I have a major problem with the process. And I think it's, it's insult to injury, really, for for the people of Ashbourne, because, you know, they're, they're, um, you might ask the, reasonably ask the question, like, what is the demand for, you know, Public theatre, you know, yeah. outdoor theatre in Ireland. I, I don't know that there's a huge demand, and I'm somebody who who supports the theatre. But I, I, my my point is one of of principle that this project is for the community. It's not for an executive or planners in Mead County Council. They are not the ones that will either be using or not using a, a skate park. It's for the community of Ashbourne, and they should have had a, a key role in co-designing and co-producing mm. this project.
1: Maybe the planners would you know, attend outside theatre more than they would uh, use uh, skate park.
2: Yeah, well, maybe they would, Michael, but, but I, I suppose the point in relation to it is that it, it, I think their decision-making process is fundamentally flawed and it has excluded the very people who they are supposed to serve, and I have a major problem with that.
1: Okay, and undoubtedly you've asked them why this decision has been made.
2: Yeah, and I have, and, and they have said it was, a, a, in, in fairness, they have said the footprint is still there for the for the skate park, um, but they said it's financial uh, restrictions. And I have to say, you know, like essentially what's happening here is that the, the community in Ashbourne are, are being made pay and suffer mm. because of the mistakes of consultants that Mead County Council hired and Mead County Council themselves, because in, in previous rounds of this, Mead County Council have gone essentially to planning and realized actually that they had you know intended to plan on archaeological okay. lands that cost them excess money in terms of the the, the, mm-hmm. the process and consultation so so, the, so through no fault of their own residents in Ashbourne are being made to pay the price. And, uh, and, and uh, if, something, if
1: something has to go by the wayside you're saying that it shouldn't be the skate park. We'll, that's, that's the yeah, point, that's the okay. point. Yeah, in right, my
2: we, opinion, and, and, and the community should be engaged okay. on these decisions.
1: Alright, have to go to headlines. Thank you for joining us Sinn Féin councillor Darren O'Rourke.
4: Michael, Michael Reid on, on LMFM
1: Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages uh, that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie.
0: Good morning, Michael. And good morning to everybody listening in this morning. Jimmy phoned in and Jimmy says it's the same nonsense day in and day out listening to our programme Michael he says there's a crisis in housing but you won't get the government TDs to admit it, not at all they won't admit it and he thinks that we're out of touch with the real people who listen to this show, that we need to get a grip and talk to the real people not the politicians, not this nonsense says Jimmy
1: Okay. well we weren't talking to government party politicians this morning we were talking to the opposition this
0: morning that's right, John from Navin phoned in, and John, John wanted to say that he thought you'd make a great. Michael. So that kind of intrigued me. He said this is a temporary man living in Meath that this is coming from. So I asked him why in particular he thought you might make a good Mm -hmm. Taoiseach because he says you can fight your corner fairly well. And that was obvious from listening to your interview with Deputy Casey. So I'm not sure if it's a compliment or not,
1: Michael. You've left me totally confused there now. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, John.
0: Sean from Drogheda also contacted us this morning and he feels that Fianna are speaking from both sides of their mouth. They don't have confidence in the government policies but yet they are happy to vote against a no confidence motion. Who is it they want stability for? I think it's for Fianna Fáil themselves, says Jean from Drogheda. OK,
1: well, we should uh, clarify, I don't think Fianna Fáil are expected to vote against the motion this evening. They just won't vote. They'll abstain, uh, which uh, means uh, that uh, the government uh, should win the day.
0: That's right. Uh, Gerard phoned in to say that if Fianna Fáil pulled the plug on the government, Michael Reid would be first in the queue to let them have it. Do you really want a general election, Michael? Jared wants to know. No,
1: I don't uh, want a general election at all. Uh, but uh, I have questions uh, to ask and as to whether there may be one or not, uh, given uh, the motion that's in front of uh, the House tonight and uh, the statements that Fianna Fáil has been making about government policy in relation to housing.
0: Mirage from Drahada was in touch to say that we will be having the local and European elections next year. So why not go for the triple and have a general election too? It'll be a clean slate for everyone, Michael. And then you won't have to be wondering on every programme whether there's going to be a general election or not. Mm,
1: I don't think there'll be a general election for some time. yes No. no.
0: Okay, time will tell. On the same topic, we had an email in from Therese who says that she's particularly harsh on both Finnegale and Fianna Fáil. She says that uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil policies have for decades decimated the supply of social and affordable homes. They have traumatised and stig- stigmatised the vulnerable with uncertainty and, in inverted commas, poor house-style accommodation. Instead of building social and affordable homes during the recession when it made sense, suggests that Fine Gael would have lost votes because so many privately owned ghost estates existed. It's just more of the deceptive, des- despicable and disingenuous tripe that this government constantly spouts, she says. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil policy for decades has clearly been to avoid building any social or affordable homes, blaming Sinn Féin and others for not producing solutions to today's many serious problems and total failure is pathetic and not fooling anyone. Well, I don't
1: think it is fooling anyone and I don't think it's right. In fact, it's probably pathetic uh, to blame Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael for that matter because uh, it's actually the will of the people uh, because the people vote uh, for the politicians in uh, the parties that you're talking about en masse and at any given time you can take it.
5: my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans to get started visit PlushCare.com/weightloss. weight loss that's PlushCare.com/weightloss. weight loss to
1: that fiona fall and finagale represent the views of more than half of the adult population in this country. So if there is a problem, well, then I think she has a problem with the people and how the people would like the country to be governed. Now, hold that thought for a moment and let's think about something else and uh, tomorrow's people, if you like, and the amount of time that children spend in front of screens. Research that has been carried out for the START campaign may come as some surprise to you. They've found that children aged under two, spend on average an hour and 15 minutes every day on screens. And that rises to almost one and a half hours at weekends. Children aged between three and nine spend one hour, 45 minutes on screens and two and a half to three hours at the weekends. As the children get a little bit older and they're aged between 10 to 12, they're on screens for about two hours a day and more than three hours at the weekends. We're joined by Connor Owens, who's a senior psychologist with the HSC. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. That's a a lot of time that children, very young children, are in front of screens every single day of the week, it would seem. Uh, Tell us uh, about the START campaign uh, and what you hope to achieve.
3: The, the START
7: campaign has been run uh, jointly by Safe Food Ireland and the HSE and it's really in response to concerns that parents have been bringing up themselves <clears throat> and, and I think you're right when you introduced it about saying tomorrow's people. It is parents looking at the type of future and type of lifestyle that they want for their children. Parents are telling us that they are concerned about the amount of screen time that children are having and they're 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 looking for advice. They, it's it's really interesting, they're, they're actively saying we want to do something about this um, and what what is the recommended advice and what are the tips. So Safe Food and uh, HSA Ireland with their Start campaign um, have come up with a couple of of clear uh, research-backed messages and I suppose the the, the most notable ones are for children under two years of age to have no screen time at all, Mm. for children between two and five, one hour or less a day and then once they get old, older than that, it's about negotiating the amount of time that children have and looking to reduce it by maybe 30 minutes a day. The reason it's negotiation at that time, at that age, and rather than you saying a specified amount of time, is that screen time actually has benefits as well.
1: Oh, and many of them. Yeah. Depending on what you're doing, I'm sure. But what would a child under the age of two be doing on a screen?
7: Um, well, I suppose... The Are hugely engaging, the colors, the movement. Mm. So it it would be, it would really be. just being absorbed by what they're seeing on Mm. the screen they're they're not actually learning anything from it
1: okay Uh, as as you say uh, there's a lot of benefits i mean i have a screen in front of me here and uh, i have to have it open because there's messages coming in for the program i'll be using screens later on to research for tomorrow's program and so on and a a lot of people would spend a, a lot of time in front of screens and to some degree in this day and age Children will have to spend some time in front of screens, uh, but I, I gather you're uh, trying to uh, explain to people that time away from the screens and being children in an old-fashioned sense is as important, if not important. More important.
7: I, I think. You, yeah. I, I think, Michael, you put it very well there. That it's 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 a two-pronged approach. It's not just about having a healthy relationship with the screens, but it's also about what you do with the time that you're you're pulling back from the screens and what what the campaign is is advocating is that time needs to be put into play children's play going back to the old-fashioned games that parents used to play with their children because the, the play is really it's where children learn problem solving it's where children learn how to cope with life's ups and downs and frustrations of not winning not getting their own way um, which you don't have to encounter so much when you're on a computer game because you can just quit
1: In the same way that it's important for us to stop and look out the window or go for a walk, children should run and play and get some fresh air. And to make a start.ie has a lot of ideas if parents are looking for suggestions for what their children can do when they're not on screens. It's a very interesting campaign, and the research I thought was very interesting as well for that matter. Thanks, Connor, for joining us this morning. Connor Owens, Senior Psychologist with the HSE. Now let's go back to some more of your thoughts but Marie, what else have you got for us there?
0: Yes, Michael, and just back to that story about the no confidence motion. Um, in the government on in, in, in O'Murphy uh, Michael was in touch from RD and Michael says he thinks that you should think about bringing on Sinn Féin Michael and asking them about their record on housing in the north of course this no confidence motion is a publicity stunt do you really think it's anything else and could Sinn Féin in government do any better that's the question
1: Okay, well, uh, I mean, we're talking about two different jurisdictions. Uh, You can call it a publicity stunt. Sometimes that's uh, what these motions are, nothing more than that. Uh, Quite often they're not, uh, so I I wouldn't... uh take a, a position on whether it's a publicity stunt or, or not. Uh, quite often uh, political parties will see the opportunity to force a, an issue through a motion like this uh, and uh, it's not too often that they are taking I, I can't remember the gap that has to be between motions of, of no confidence uh, but uh, I think it's something like six months before another motion of this sort can be taken against uh, the same minister and it, it is a motion of no confidence in the government when uh, the doll votes no confidence in a, a minister which is not going to happen. But if it was to happen, that would in effect be a, a motion of no confidence in the government.
0: Michael, I'll finish on a comment from Peter in relation to parking charges in the county. We were discussing this yesterday and he says that he's heard talk about increasing the parking fees in Dundalk. And he says it's easy to see that the councillors making these decisions are in no way business minded can they not see that they are only going to drive people out of the town to the retail parks etc and even out of the area altogether perhaps to Newry. This will result in the heart of the town slowly dying. It really is a case of killing the goose that lays the golden egg says Peter.
1: Okay Peter thanks for that and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's been said as always we'd love to hear from you our telephone number is eighteen fifty-seven one five nine five eight. 715 958 that's 1857 15958. If you'd like to ring us today and make a comment on the programme, Marie or Maggie will take your call and they'd be delighted to hear from you. You can also text us on 086 658.
4: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. FM.
1: Now, let's uh, talk uh, about Brexit. A lot of focus on uh, the Labour Party conference in uh, the UK this week and what direction uh, Jeremy Corbyn might take Labour in relation. To Theresa May's failed policies. Uh, Brendan Howland is there, hoping that there will be a second referendum on Brexit. Whether that will happen or not is anybody's guess. But we're joined by Labour Party Jed Nash, and uh, there's a lot of people at that conference going around with stickers on them saying bollocks to Brexit. Uh, Is that the right attitude, do you think?
8: Um, Personally, yes. I mightn't put it in those um, colourful terms, Michael, but uh, I believe so. My own colleague, as you said, Brendan Howden, is there uh, as the leader of uh, the Labour Party's um, sister party, the Irish Labour Party, and we've been trying um, over the last um, two plus years to move uh, our Labour Party colleagues to a point uh, where um, a second referendum would be considered. from speaking to colleagues who are over there um, and from speaking to Labour MPs who I know quite well and people I campaign with on various issues, I think that the uh, mood is changing. Um, I think that people now understand they were sold a pup uh, and that um, the demand now for um, at least the possibility of a second referendum is increasing. Uh, a, what's got a composite motion, a very long motion, mm. um, which might be considered to be compromised, was passed uh, at a kind of sub-meeting uh, at conference uh, last uh, Sunday. And Keir Starmer spoke um, about that yesterday, uh, where he made it very clear that the option uh, for a vote uh, on Remain, a second referendum, mm. to essentially expunge the last result, um, is uh, on the table. Uh, now, John Macdonald... Uh, the Shadow Chancellor appears to have a different view which is maybe not surprising because both himself and and Jeremy Corbyn as I said to you off air have a history of Europhobia if I can put it like that uh, and have been critical and it's no problem being critical of the European Union but have a a general stance in the European Union that much of what the European Union was doing over the last 40 plus years since the membership of of both Ireland and and the UK has been wrong I don't agree with that Um, um, but um, his view appears to be that he wants a general election first uh, and that the only second vote uh, if there was to be a second vote, should be on any Brexit deal that uh, Theresa May
1: may be able to craft with European Union colleagues. A people's vote, as they put it, on the terms of Brexit. Uh, but what if the people vote against? the terms that Theresa May wants to agree with Europe. Well, that's right, that you know,
8: th- this is the th- We've got back to the original mm. problem here mm. where there's very little point in having a uh, yes or no, in or out, mm. uh, binary uh, referendum, a binary vote being put to the people of Britain mm. um, because you're just back to square one as, uh, then mm. as well. When you're involved in politics and when you're involved in a referendum campaign that is so kind of existential... Um, that goes right to the heart of people's living standards, people's future, you need to be very, very careful. You need to have a much more finessed position because remember, um, Britain is very, very divided mm. uh, and any
1: um, any any responsible leader... The individuals in Britain are very divided. I mean, if you look at Theresa May, she wanted to remain uh, and uh, now she's working very hard to exit uh, for her own political reasons, undoubtedly. And we have this very cynical situation uh, where Jeremy Corbyn wants to exit and may end up... Uh, bringing the UK to a position where it remains. That's right, I mean, and as, as I said, to you, <laughs> again, sorry. off air, so mm, sometimes yeah, it's Brexit, yeah. what you need to do is mm. check your phone
8: every five minutes yeah. to see what the latest position is. Um, for, for what it's worth, um, the uh, view that we've been expressing to our colleagues over the last two years is that they should be leading um, the charge uh, for Remain. Mm. Uh, And uh, if if there is a binary position to Mm. be taken in British politics, it's that the Tories clearly are incredibly divided and fatally divided. It is a catastrophic situation Mm. that they are in. They are about to drive uh, the UK living standards, job security, workers' rights, environmental standards and everything else off the edge of a cliff. Uh, And if anything, the British Labour Party should stand for that kind of decency but argue to the, the British people that we propose a referendum we propose a referendum from my point mm. of view and this is what we've been saying You know, they should propose a referendum and if they are concerned about the direction of Europe um, reflect on the message that was given to them in the Brexit referendum by people in Labour Party voting you know, constituencies in the north of England and try to reform Europe from within because I think this could be a turning point for the mm. European Union if the British decided that what they were going to do was in fact reflect again on this because you know the reality is and we've been asked well why does the Irish government or successive Irish governments put um, referendums that were defeated back to the people we don't put the same question back to the mm. people what we try to do is understand uh, why people rejected the proposition in the first place as happened with Nice and as happened with Lisbon and get protocols uh, uh, included in various treaty arrangements with the European Union to make sure that that message was 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 you know accepted uh, and was reflected in, then in European law and put to the people again so when the facts change you can change your mind but leadership is actually about doing that, about, trying to understand that mm. and putting that question maybe again to the British people. Even if you don't we believe like. it yourself, I mean... I really well, this is the problem, but that, that that's, again, why yeah. that's why I think there's a responsibility mm. on people like Keir Starmer, uh, David Lammy, people like that in the British Labour Party to try to use their positions to convince the leadership of the party to do the right thing on this. I think really if... If Jeremy Corbyn, if, if, if John Macdonald, who are um, people who sincerely believe in, for example, the things I believe in and the things we collectively believe in in Labour parties across Europe, you know, in workers' rights and decent living standards in a future for, for the children of that country, then they should reflect on that and uh, be much more clear, much more clear about what their actual position is. Today's debate's going to be very, very interesting. And in fairness to Jeremy Corbyn, what he did say, as a Democrat, he would accept whatever mandate the UK Labour Party conference gives to him. And if that includes... Uh, the option of a vote on remain on the
1: table then that should be the case The politics though is terrible on all sides but uh, the politics from Labour's perspective is terrible as well is it not in that uh, the party doesn't have a position because it wants a populist position it wants to be everything to everyone sort of thing that's right, um
8: and I, unfortunately i I agree with that um um suggestion uh, Michael um the evidence I've seen so far is that there's a, a real lack of leadership on this, and uh, leadership would involve um you know going into a general election. Um, very firmly on the pro Remain side and making that case, um, or,
1: or or the other side. I, yeah. I mean, uh, well, absolutely. I, I I'm not not Paul having the best of uh, both worlds, Paul as, as they as they yeah, might yeah, say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah.
8: Uh, well, if he follows his instincts, it might yeah, actually yeah. remain to be a, 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 yeah. a, a, a Brexit Brexit position. Having said that, like there really is an onus, and we, we've done a lot of work with mm. the trade union movement in the UK as well. Just actually last Wednesday, I spoke at a major conference in Dundalk, organised by SIP2. Um, And one of the main purposes of that conference was actually to bring over trade union colleagues from the UK, from Unite Trade Union, from the GMB uh, and other interests as well, to try to convince them of the necessity to, for example, protect the common travel area. Um, Something in fact they were, um, with with some exceptions, um, I would say ignorant on, but certainly didn't understand the significance of this and the Mm -hmm. history of it. And the fact that the common travel area predates our joint membership of the European Union and is so important for peace and prosperity in this country. And the notion that we need to put the primacy of the good friday agreement first remember the good friday agreement is actually a, a an agreement that has been uh, uh, crafted between these islands uh, to um uh, uh, you know ensure that we have a good relationship north and south and east and west it's actually a, a an international treaty yeah. uh, that the british people made with as they would argue some of their own people uh, in, in in the north of ireland um so to imagine that that particular agreement um which is very um uh, important for um, peace for security for prosperity in this country could be undermined in some way because of this you know UK tory party parlor game and that's what it is brexit mm. um is absolutely astonishing so we're trying to convince you know, like-minded people mm. in the UK to do the right do thing have not just for ireland but for
1: themselves as well i suppose that's why we asked you to speak to us today does the irish labour party have any influence over the british labour party because the relationship has uh, been yes. somewhat strained. Um. Well, the the.
8: We're not always on the same page, hmm, and hmm, hmm. we have maybe different um, uh, traditional priorities um, I, I, as well. I mean, the, the, we said we 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 wouldn't don't have been on the right page. Criticism. No, no, no just, just it's, it's, f- it's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, any family um, internationally, any political family will will have those those strains. But um, you know, we we are members of the Party European Socialists. Uh, there are leader meetings between our leaders um, every quarter, and the relationships generally are are very very good. We have a difference of opinion with the leadership of the Labour Party in the UK on this. And that's why we've been working to Mm. try to convince him. Brendan Howland said, I think at his conference speech yesterday, that the first conference speech he made back in 2016, um, he was in shock uh, at the outcome of uh, the Brexit, of the, the vote itself. It was just a couple of months after that vote. And then last year, he expresses concerns that there was very little discernible movement in terms of the withdrawal agreement, understanding and accepting that the British people made, made a, 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 a decision on that front, and that had to be um, respected. And now, um, he's been very blunt and He says, it's not a time for diplomatic niceties. We want the UK to remain. We believe there's an argument for remain. Mm. You've been sold a pup. And that the British Labour Party, our colleagues, should be shown the kind of leadership I think that the majority of people in the UK want to see now. I mean, a very interesting poll in the Observer newspaper on Sunday, which indicates that almost 90% of British Labour Party members will be in favour of a second vote. They're smart people. They understand that the best interests of Britain is not served by Brexit. This should be revisited.
1: OK. About 40%, though, are Brexiteers, are they not?
8: Yeah, well, the job of leadership is, I think, to convince mm. those who don't agree with you to um, change their view. And I think anybody that has, you know, the the, the kind of common Mm. philosophy that we have in Labour and Social Democratic parties about, workers' rights, about decent work, Mm. about living standards, about equal opportunities for people needs to, I think, understand what side their bread is buttered on. Okay, well, we we'll, like we'll that. watch
1: that space, as we used to say, or as you said a moment ago, we'll watch our phones, because it seems yeah, to be it, it changing every, every few minutes. minutes. All right. uh, before you leave us, uh, talk to us a, a little about uh, a Labour Party bill uh, to restore the Borough Council in, in Drogheda, but local government uh, across uh, the country. We'll talk about this in more detail, but just very briefly, give us the outline of it now. Well, um, what we
8: proposed in accepting, as we did back in 2016, mm-hmm. that the decision taken by Phil Hogan that was then supported by the then government, uh, which we were members, to um, um, to deviate away from town government of this country and consolidate county councils was a mistake. Um, we said that in our manifesto in 2016 and we said that if we manage to attract enough votes to get back into government, we would fix that. Um, we're doing that from opposition. We've published a bill that we've spent the last year working on, which would um, mean the restoration of municipal government in Ireland, um, because we believe that towns like Drogheda should have mm. control over their own affairs. So towns with populations over 25,000 would have um, councils with a membership of 15 um, representing the town and its environs, because we believe that the urban centres are the major drivers of economic growth in areas and they should have the control over that. Uh, I think the current uh, you know, status quo can't continue. I don't think it's worked for Louth, mm. and it hasn't worked for Drada and neither has it worked for Dundalk either. So that's something we'll be debating in the Dáil uh, in, in terms of this bill tomorrow and we'd be appealing for support from Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin okay, and We'll
1: come back to that uh, when we have more time uh, and just uh, to conclude very finally 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 if you like uh, we'll be hearing from Regina Doherty will be speaking before the Oireachta Social Protection Committee today. Uh, The speculation is uh, that she can't guarantee that there'll be a Christmas bonus for welfare recipients this year. Your thoughts on that? Well, um,
8: the first available opportunity when resources became available, um, we in government um, uh, introduced a 50% restoration and a 75%, re- or sorry, 85% restoration. It's 85% of the um, full weekly payment last year for 1.2 million mm. euro, one, 1.2 million recipients. Unthinkable that um, there would be no bonus this year. The Minister's um, statement, at least, uh, that um, she uh, sent to committee members like me yesterday um, leaves the door open for no um, Christmas bonus. I don't believe that that will be the case. Um, I, um, the resources, I believe, are there. Cost about €220 million euros last year for the 85% restoration. What we want to see is 100% restoration, so effectively a double-week payment for the 1.2 million uh, recipients of long-term social welfare payments to help mm. them make ends meet at Christmas time. That will cost probably about an additional 40 million euros and mm. it's, usually, um, okay. it's usually gathered from savings in the department. Mm. Our, our savings now as more people get back to work. Um, so that's what I'll be saying to the Minister yeah. later on when um, I meet her at committee and I hope that she listens to those views and uh, I, I'm as I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that she will.
1: I'm sure we'll hear uh, more on that uh, throughout uh, the day but thank you indeed for coming in to us uh, this morning Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. Michael,
4: Michael Reid on, on LMFM FM.
1: Now let's talk uh, about uh, the latest REA average house price survey which looks at actual sale prices on uh, three-bed semis across uh, the country. On average, prices increased by 4.8% in the last year, by 1.3% in Meath, and by 7.7% in County Louth. And we're joined by Doreena Collins, who's a spokesperson with Orier O'Brien Collins in Drogheda. Good morning to you, Doreena, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, there's a uh, big differences uh, i suppose in terms of the increases depending on which part of the country you're in but even within counties uh, there's big differentials as well
9: good morning michael and thank you for having us on um yes yes uh, you're quite right there is there is quite a differential between uh, the various uh, prices that can be achieved in any given county we would find here in both loud and mead the obvious Answer and the obvious explanation for that is the, the proximity to the Dublin city centre and accessibility with commuter uh, a commuter market. So, I mean, just looking at the prices, for example, in Mead, you have uh, an average house price for a three-bed semi of uh, three hundred and two thousand odd, uh, whereas. Uh, that's say uh, in Ashbourne, and then if you ha- travel further north mm. out of the county, up around the the more northern parts of it, you'd be looking at maybe 190 for a three bed semi, up around say Kells and that, and in the middle, and uh, you can see it as a kind of a circular band around North Dublin, uh, Mead and Loud um, mm. say Drogheda, Navan, and across that sort of a swathe, you're looking at an average price of 230. So. Uh, it's it's a mid range.
1: Okay, and that then compares to uh, four hundred and forty three thousand uh, as a, an average price in Dublin. Uh, the difference uh, between uh, Drogheda and Dundalk is uh, probably not too dramatic on paper, but undoubtedly, if you're trying to find uh, the difference between one hundred and ninety thousand and two hundred and ten thousand, it's a big ask for some people
9: well it, it, it is it is um michael but the the uh what what we would be seeing is the affordability factor and and say from drada to dundock uh for somebody coming down the motorway um an extra 15 minutes buys you a lot more house if yeah. you like um and you know you once you've gone through the toll um Really, you are looking at 15, 20 minutes up into Dundalk. So that works quite well for somebody. But we would also notice now that uh, here in Drogheda and South Drogheda particularly, we are getting a large Dublin market.
1: Um, and they're willing to pay 40000 more expensive uh, in uh, Drogheda than Dundalk, uh, whilst people might be coming from Dublin to buy in Drogheda. Do you find uh, that people are going to Dundalk or outside of uh, Drogheda because of the price?
9: Yes. Yes, we, we, we do um, we would find that absolutely, Michael, but we would also sort of point out that the, for example, South Strada would have uh, because it has a Dublin market, but you've also got Dublin salaries, and uh, so the prices are higher the nearer, the nearer the city that you go. But people that are being priced out of the market in North Dublin are moving further up the motorways, both for, towards Navan and North Mead as well as North louth
1: Okay, and I suppose uh, the increase in prices has slowed down somewhat, but they continue to increase, and uh, prices are relatively expensive for people at the moment. Are they affordable for everybody?
9: Well, they're not affordable for everybody, and that's the crux of the matter, um, Michael. I mean, essentially, what we're finding is that... um, The prices are only affordable for those on a a double income salary and you know again it's pushing it further and further out to be able to uh, afford any kind of a a new home or indeed a second-hand home.
1: Okay and do you expect prices uh, to continue to rise?
9: Well we've seen over the last few months in fact, that they have begun to stabilise. And this is good news for everybody concerned. The last three months, certainly, the figures for the REA survey show a steadying as she goes. The price are still increasing, but not by anything like the speed that they were. And um, we would have found here in the local market that the average price of a three-bed semi has more or less stabilised for the last For three to four months at around the 230, 235 mark, and that seems to be across the board.
1: Okay. Uh, How does uh, the Irish market compare? Uh, internationally, do you think? Uh, I mean, the difference in prices uh, seems incredible on the face of it. Uh, the average price in Donegal, I think, uh, is 95,000. If you compare that to 443,000 euro, it's hard to believe that it's uh, the same country, uh, the same amount of, of bricks and mortar that goes into building these uh, homes for people.
9: Uh, yes, well, again, um It is the same, but it's the land difference price. I suppose would be the basic. It's location, 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 um, Michael. Mm. And the uh, the market demand is much higher in the urban areas than it is out in the country areas. Also, um, you know the the it doesn't it actually isn't paying to build new homes in the more uh, the the further regions out of the cities and that's also part of the the problem with the pricing on the houses so the mm. supply is, is low and um you know that the the demand is high so that's the difference.
1: Yeah, And uh, we've been hearing for numerous reasons uh, that the demand is far greater than the supply given that that is uh, the situation and Drogheda obviously very well located in terms of its proximity to the airport and uh, the capital and so on at an average price of 230,000 are houses on the market long before you sell them because you're based in, in Drada, of course
9: yes no no there's a fairly quick turnaround we would see that the the houses would would come on the market and typically you'd be looking at 6 weeks uh, average to sell we are also noticing though in in our area that as i said to you there, that there is a new homes uh, the supply is increasing in new homes so That, um, and obviously these are very attractive to first time buyers, particularly because there are a lot of incentives and the demand is increasing um, for the the newer homes. And uh, so the second hand homes coming on the market are. Mm -hmm stabilising,
1: the prices are stabilising on those. Six weeks, uh, I think that's close to as good a a turnaround as you could possibly hope for. Uh, I mean, there was a a time when people put houses on the market and uh, they were still for sale six months, a year and longer.
9: Well, that can still happen too, uh, obviously, Michael. But in general terms, now by six weeks, I say that would be to go sale agreed. It is taking, obviously, the usual three months, maybe uh, you know, fourteen, sixteen weeks to close a sale, and that is assuming that everything is in is in order mm-hmm. with the title and with the lending and all the rest of it. Okay, you know,
1: well, no doubt, uh, as long as that demand continues, the prices will continue to rise.
9: Well. Hopefully, okay. okay. <laughs>
1: thank you, indeed, for joining thank, us. Thank you, Drina Collins, a spokesperson for OEA. O'Brien Collins, based in Drahta.
4: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on
1: LMFM. FM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents, Garda, you're investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Aoife King of Trim Station joins us for this week's report and we begin in Drogheda and a fire that has been causing concern at Marion Park last Saturday.
10: Good morning, Michael. An incident of a fire was reported last Saturday morning at approximately 2.40am. A witness was awoken by a large, a loud, a loud bang and heard the noise of tyres screeching away. On observation, the witness saw a neighbouring house was on fire. A window had also been smashed in this house. Members of the Gardaí and the fire services attended the scene. Now, thankfully, no one was injured during this incident, but Gardaí and Rahata are appealing to witness... Witnesses who may have seen anything unusual in the area either on the night or in the days prior to contact them on 0419838777.
1: And as to what led to the fire or the bang and uh, as to whether it was a petrol bomb attack or something of that sort, I gather.
10: Yes, Michael, Mm -hmm. they're still investigating. Mm -hmm. um, And as I said, they are eager to speak to anybody who was in the area. That would have been Friday night and into Saturday morning. 2.40am would have been a time when people were walking home from pubs or nightclubs. So just Mm -hmm. if anybody did see anything, just to give Trojada Garda Station a ring.
1: Okay, to the Ramparts in Drogheda and a robbery from a person.
10: Michael, this incident happened last Monday in the Ramparts area of Drogheda. So the Ramparts is the park that runs along with the River Boyne on the Rathmullen Road. A young girl was walking alone between 2 and 3pm when she was approached by three males. They then knocked her to the ground and stole an electronic device which she had with her. The girl sustained minor injuries. Gardaí and and are appealing to anyone who was in the vicinity at the time and saw anything or anyone suspicious to contact them. So this was last Monday between 2pm and 3pm. The primary schools, the baby infants and senior infants had finished school. So perhaps people were over at St Dominic's playground or that area, even walking home from school. Um, daylight hours and a young girl thankfully she um, only sustained minor injuries and is currently on the mend. Mm,
1: because it's a, a relatively isolated area where the attack occurred I gather and it's quite possible that people didn't actually witness the attack but they might have seen some young fellas uh, acting uh, in a, a way that got their attention afterwards.
10: That's it Michael, mm. yes as we said, three males, um, who probably would have been running from the scene.
1: Okay, uh, we've a couple of burglaries to report on next, uh, and both of these in RD, I think.
10: So the first of these occurred in the early hours of Wednesday, the 12th of September, so that's last Wednesday week. And Gardaí were alerted to a door being smashed of Callahan's butchers on Market Street in RD. A male was observed on CCTV in a white Opel Corsa van. He was also observed entering the butchers. Nothing was taken during the course of this burglary, but there was extensive damage caused to the premises. And the second incident was exactly a week later, last Wednesday the 19th, also in the early hours of the morning. Five males were seen by witnesses in a dark coloured Audi A6. A witness who observed them at the scene, which was Finlay's yard, Irish Street RD, had the windscreen of his car smashed. During the course of this burglary, a small amount of cash was taken and RD are investigating and are seeking help from the public. So if anyone has any information it will be dealt with with the strictest of confidence and for people to contact RD Garda station.
1: Okay well we've been hearing a, a lot about items stolen from vehicles uh, recently. We've thefts uh, from cars in Kells. Two separate uh, incidents to report on this week.
10: Two separate incidents Michael's same location. Between Friday and Saturday last two vehicles were brought into at the Headford Golf Club in Kells, both of these were conducted during daylight hours. One car had the driver's door damaged, and another had a window smashed. Cash and an electronic device were taken during these thefts. So, anyone with any information, would you please contact Kells Garda Station on zero four six nine two eight zero eight two zero. And again, Friday and Saturday between daylight hours. Um, I'm sure there were people coming in and out of the golf club who may have witnessed something, anything at all. Just contact Kells Guard Station. Can okay,
1: we conclude with a, a theft in Kells. Uh, this uh, incident happened at a school.
10: It did. At some time over last weekend, a shed at the back of St Colum Kills Primary School was broken into. The lock on the shed had been forced open and a ride-on lawnmower was stolen. The lawnmower was approximately two years old. It was red in colour and had a bricks and stratton engine in it. Perhaps if anybody has been offered um to purchase a ride-on lawnmower that they might check the engine. It is a Bricks and Stratton engine. So this happened between Friday afternoon when the school closed and Monday morning when the school reopened and anybody who saw anything to contact Kells Garda station. But also to say for people that if you log on to www.garda.ie the crime prevention tab has pieces of information there to keep People safe, your property safe, your cars safe. That information is absolutely vital.
1: OK, and uh, replacing it uh, won't happen for nothing as far as uh, the school is yes, uh, concerned. Michael. And uh, when these things are stolen, uh, quite often they're sold on to people, but somebody will, in effect, pay for it elsewhere. Before you leave us, uh, there's uh, a fundraising uh, event, uh, are to do for charity. Perhaps you'd uh, tell us more.
10: Um. Angarda have organised a charity clay shooting event which will take place this Saturday, the 29th of September at 2pm at RD Clay Pigeon Club in Castle Bellingham County, Louth. This event is open to all shooters and it is hosted by Angarda RD clay Pigeon, Shoot, clay Pigeon Club are sponsoring the event um, and there will be no charge. There will be a collection um, using buckets in the clubhouse and all shooters are asked to help out with whatever they have. The money raised by the event is going to the family of Fintan Goss who was killed during Storm Ophelia in Ravensdale, Dundalk. This event started last year on a small basis with only local gun clubs, but this year it has grown to include all of Louth and Meath. So anybody who has any interest, any gun club members out there who would like a day out shooting, as I said, next Saturday, the 29th September, 2pm, contact any member of the committee of RD Clay Pigeon Club. Okay,
1: and uh, I'm sure uh, all donations would be welcome for that matter. Thank you indeed. Garda Aoife King of Trim Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now we've just a a couple of minutes left on today's programme uh, and let's hear more of your thoughts. Marie is back with us.
0: Tony from County Louds was in touch regarding your conversation with Senator Nash, and Tony says when Nigel Farage came here to inform in certain referenda, it was called interference in another country's politics. What gives Brendan Howland the right to do the very same thing, Tony okay. says.
1: Well, I think maybe for that reason or for the reasons that led to those accusations against uh, Nigel Farage, I think Brendan Howland is the first politician I'm aware of uh, that has called for a second referendum or anything other than the will of the people, if you like.
0: Margaret, uh, on the same topic, really hopes she says that there is another vote on Brexit because she thinks that it's only now that the negative implications of such a move uh, is starting to sink in with people. And she feels that if there is another vote, that there will be a vote to remain that's her thoughts on it. Who's
1: to say? Yeah. Mm. In
0: relation to screen time, uh, Valerie from Drahada texted in to say, the parents should lead by example. I saw a mother in Slane this morning dragging a little girl along by the hand. The child was crying while her mom hardly noticed because she was too busy looking at her phone. Also, I don't think the parents should buy screens for younger children. They would far they would benefit far better from some playtime, nursery rhymes, etc., with the parent, the grandparent, or childminder.
1: Okay. Well, the psychologist from the HSE very clearly saying this morning that children under two should not be in front of screens. Uh,
0: Pat from Carrick was in touch. Uh, he was listening into the conversation on illegal dumping yesterday with Councillor Emma Coffey, mm. and he just wanted to mention uh, about laundered diesel. He's just wondering. How many service stations have been prosecuted for selling illegal diesel? He says we never really hear of prosecutions, and feels that if the public were made aware of it, they'd know where not to go to buy their diesel.
1: Okay, well, I'm not sure, but I I think there have been prosecutions, but that they've been few and far between.
0: Have I no time for another one? Oh or yeah, two? go for it, yeah. Pat from Athboy was in touch, and he felt that you acted like a badger in the interview with Deputy Pat Casey because you were badgering him for a reply, and not letting him answer the question. Pat feels, I think that was in relation to the no confidence thing. Okay so that's his thoughts on right, well, I'm not sure I
1: think that might be a compliment alright thanks uh, for that you and decide thanks, yeah, thanks everybody who has been in touch uh, with us uh, today our time has run out on us unfortunately so we'll leave it there and make that the final word on the programme today there'll be a podcast available on our website lmfm.ie this afternoon thanks to Marie Kearns for producing Megan McGuire for researching and Chris Murray in the control tower I'm Michael God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM good morning bye bye